Hello, welcome to another episode of Scuttlebutt, a Marine Corps Association podcast. I am Nick. I am here with Vic. Hello. And William. Howdy. And today we've got a special treat for you. Instead of going into an interview with an esteemed Marine uh, colleague. Yeah, no guests today. It's just the three of us. Yeah, just the three of us. We can make it if we try. We are instead going to listen to clips from two different uh, Marine Corps Association events, uh, which featured uh, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General David H. Berger, and Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps, Eric Smith. So uh, they talk about Force Design 2030 and uh, talent management and diversity and some stuff about how the Marine Corps should be handling these issues in the future. So we're going to dive into that a little bit with you guys today. but we're going to kind of transition to that. Let's uh, get off the plate first. There's a lot of force design talk going on in Gazette. I want to throw it over to uh, you guys, Vic and Will. You guys both work on Gazette. Uh, what do we got coming down the pike? Yeah, so obviously um, we are uh, a little over a year uh, into force design 2030. Um, you'll hear both uh, the commandant and the assistant commandant talk about how we're showing us shifting into experimentation phase of it but it has created obviously as you would imagine a lot of buzz um, intellectually and it's been really great to be a part of the uh, editorial process for the gazette and seeing all of the um, different viewpoints and recommendations suggestions uh, criticisms of force design 2030 in particular how we do manpower uh, management and talent management. Yeah, especially a, a few articles you have in the, I believe, the December edition really speak to a lot of what the uh, ACMAC and CMC said during their speeches. So uh, definitely uh, go ahead and re- uh, read the December edition when it comes out and, and compare it to uh, with the speeches and see if uh, you feel how they match up with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, then, it's really, and then also the web. So if you go to the uh, Marine Corps Association website, um, and you look at the web articles, there's a few in there, too, that uh, really sort of came down the pike, like uh, like you're saying, late in response to these speeches um, uh, that address some of the uh, the issues and things that people are sort of uh, diving into when it comes to Force Design 2030 um, and our way forward on yes some real real paradigm shifts as far as how mm-hmm. we are going to um find that edge over our uh, pacing threat which you'll hear mm-hmm. that term used a lot in both speeches and uh shameless plug for gazette if any of our listeners out there have any ideas or thoughts about Forge side 2030 or the uh, speeches we're about to talk about please 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 go ahead and write and get your voice out there and, and help contribute to discussion to change the uh Marine Corps for the better. Yeah, yeah. We're all about shameless plugs, so appreciate that. This entire thing has been a shameless plug so far. <laughs> yeah, really We've been talking about it's the core of our existence. Uh, our Marine Corps <laughs> Association events, uh, which if you're ever in the uh, the D.C. area, that's where most of them are, but we do one in Camp Lejeune, we do one in Georgia, and we do one in Pendleton. Um, I think those are all of our out-of-area dinners. Yeah, I think the Pendleton one's coming up in December, isn't it? I thought that one was in February. I, we have a, it's coming up. We and, have a yeah. website with a schedule that yeah, you can yeah, go yeah. to, mca-marines.org slash events. It'll get you where you need to be. Um, and we'd love to see everybody come down and join us. Uh, unfortunately, we've been a little strapped for space due to COVID. Uh, but yeah, ch- check us out if you get the chance. Uh, rub elbows with uh, me, Vic, William. We we're, we show up sometimes. Yeah, most times. <laughs> as long as it's open bar. Yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna let that one sit for a second <laughs> yeah please do <laughs> let me take it all in all right so let's transition then into the uh i think it was the force design luncheon no it, it was, was the uh, second annual uh members breakfast the second annual members breakfast for uh members uh so every year we do uh, starting at well, starting one second. year ago. Yeah, <laughs> it's the annual breakfast. This is the second one. So starting <laughs> yeah. last year, twenty twenty, we started a new tradition of having a breakfast for our members, and the timing couldn't have been better. We had a whole bunch of people who were going to show up, and what do you know? COVID. COVID. But COVID. Um, so it's happening. 
hopefully next year we can get a pretty big turnout. We know a lot of our members live in the uh, in the region, and we want to bring everybody in and have a have a good time. Uh, but uh, the commandant was at the breakfast. He and, was uh, sergeant major and the sergeant major. Uh, we don't have clips from the sergeant major though. <laughs> He's on the ACMAC at the end. If you stick around on the YouTube channel, so. But we are on. Uh, we're talking about the uh, Marine Corps Association breakfast. Uh, Commandant Berger speaking about well, talent management mostly. So yeah, uh, so some of the themes that uh, you'll hear him uh, uh, explore on his speech are uh, like we talked about moving into the experiment experimentation phase. Um, training and education, talent, talent management. So we're going to let his voice serenade you for the next two minutes or so. Yeah, he can say it way better than we can. <laughs> and then we'll uh, jump in and have a little talk about it. All right. The future operating environment with great precision. Because there's so many things that are going to change at a pace we can't hardly get our brains around. But it doesn't mean we can't envision an aim point, And that's what we have. We can't define it precisely, but we can have an, an aim point. We can talk about the Indo-Pacific and China, of course, as the pacing threat in our primary theater. But I bring that up because we're, I think we have to avoid tunnel vision here and not too narrowly focus on one threat on one region. We, as many other people have said, we have a, exactly a perfect track record of getting wrong where the next conflict will be. So long way of saying our eye is not on China because we think or I think that's the most likely conflict. I do not. That's not the point. It's on China because we have to stay in front of them capabilities wise. That's what pacing means. Not that you're going to go to China, not that you're going to fight China. That's the level, that's the bar. And if we're going to prevent overmatch from a from a force like China, if we're going to deter them, then that, that becomes the bar. Because we believe that our, our, wherever the next conflict is against whoever, it's, it could be anywhere on the globe. We need to be prepared to go anywhere. So all back to the intellectual edge. We have to train and we have to educate the Marines to have the mental dexterity that we think they're going to need and the agility. Because we're going to put them in different operating environments. That's going to be a challenge. Any climb or place, which is what we sort of leaned on for a long time, now is not enough. Because those are just locations, those are just environments. We're talking about where we're gonna put junior Marines, NCOs, and company grade officers. It's, it's not limited to just a physical location or domain. We need the Marines to operate in environments, this is hard, but environments they can't actually physically go to. This is information space, this is space, this is cyber. These are areas where physically they won't be, but they're still going to engage, still going to win. There. Yeah. All right. Avoiding narrow focus. Uh, Vic, what do you think? Yeah, so I really uh, I appreciated um, his thoughts on avoiding tunnel vision. Uh, I thought that was kind of hilarious that we have a perfect track record of getting wrong uh, where the next conflict will be. And, um, you know, in my you know time in the marine corps um yeah i mean september 10th 2001 we had no idea um and so i think that there it's profound uh that he mentioned that and i think it's a good sort of um it's good to humble ourselves and not get so spun up that Everything we're doing is getting ready for a fight with China. Um, that's that's not what he's getting at with Force Design 2030. Yeah, and it might be even a little beyond the scope of what the Marine Corps should be doing. But it's not just militarily we're out trying to outpace China. China is building railroads and canals and things all over Africa and South America just trying to circumvent the traditional uh, Euro-American power structures that are in place right so well if we also look at sort of our threats as they stand one of the you know tentacles of the octopus if you will is russia 
Russia loves to use proxy wars. And so to get to your point, Nick, is that if China is expanding their influence to the point where they may not have to directly engage, mm-hmm. um, especially when we start looking outside of the Pacific theater. Yeah, and to that point as well, uh, Russia ch- thought <laughs> Russia taught China everything they knows almost as far as it comes to uh, dealing with Western powers. Feels like sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, you know, just look at what you know. Like Crimea was a perfect case study for how to do four-dimensional warfare. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think anybody um, wasn't stealing from that playbook. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that there is almost virtually no consequence for just taking over a country, essentially. Yeah. And, and it went almost unnoticed as well. But uh, going back to sort of, uh, we're talking about, like, you know, being f- flexible and we're not going to know what the next fight is. I feel like there's a lot of Marines who are questioning if, if a lot of the changes recently is matching that. Especially, I mean, I, there's a lot of angry former Marine tankers out there who I imagine be like, well, what about us in the situation where we were applicable to? So I think sure. I, I, I still, th- the idea that China is the pacing threat and, and the main threat is still um, prominent. And I mean, out, historically speaking, there's also a lot of instances where we essentially the Marine Corps was actually like well-prepared. You could argue that in World War II, for example, that we were ready for that war and that the advancement of a Fabius doctrine between World War I and World War II was very beneficial for that. So I think the idea that we're not 100% prepared for next conflict is just depends on time and space, essentially. Yeah, I think what he's trying to do, though, is he's trying to get us all using the same vocabulary, that a pacing threat does not mean an imminent conflict is, you know, mm-hmm. that a conflict so, is imminent. Yes. <laughs> oh, exactly. right. Like, like um, you know, I, I, you know, during the Cold War, one of the, the analogies that was a very common analogy was this idea that, you know, you got the two toughest kids on the block and eventually, you know, they're going to have to fight for supremacy or, you know. And I don't, I think he wants to get out of that old Cold War mindset um, that we we're doing all these things because we foresee sometime in the near, you know, between now and 2030 actually going to war mm-hmm. or having a physical, you know, physical violence um with a Chinese military. And um so I think he really wants to help sort of level get everybody on the same vocabulary that a pacing threat means that we just have to maintain that advantage, whether it's intellectually, uh, you know, material, material, with our material, with our gear, um, our force structure, our, our allies, doctrine, our, our yeah, our, exactly, our uh, uh, yeah, the joint yeah. force. Um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like there are certain things that we are geared. We could easily, either, if we're not fully ready for we could adapt to relatively quickly Um, i think also we haven't done conventional warfare in a very very long time and so that whole idea of shifting to uh you know our core competencies is also a thing dust off those uh those conventional war books and sure and, and revisit that but also at the same time try not to forget the lessons that we've learned in and the most recent endeavors for the marine corps right right yeah so i guess to that point too I, we're just kind of tangenting off just a little bit here of course um, we are <laughs> scuttlebutt <laughs> so because you brought up the tankers and that leads me thinking that uh so i guess the thought process then is lighter faster mobile more mobile inside force more uh, remote activity. We're going to get to the remote activity here in a second. Um, but then uh, kind of deferring that heavyweight stuff to the Army and the big guns of the Army and the Navy and the Air Force so that we can be more, I guess, in, I mean, he's used the word inside force many times, so I think that's kind of what the point is, right? Being able to be in mobile and operating inside the sphere of... I think, yeah, so being an Amtracker, obviously the thought of divesting of tanks is 
frightening. <laughs> um, you know, a thin-skinned, uh, mechanized force really relies quite heavily uh, on, you know, even just that platoon or section of tanks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you put a tank, you put a single marine tank on foreign soil, and it's a game changer. That being said, it is a logistics – I mean, it, 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 it takes a lot to get that tank to do everything that it needs mm-hmm. to do. Um, and it's heavy, so you have to consider you know, space on a ship, um, and you have to figure out how are you going to let it, you know, how are you going to keep it running, mm-hmm. um, how are you going to keep it armed. Yeah, you can't just roll out a solar panel and charge it up. Right. I mean, you don't got so. JP-8. Then you've got uh, you know a thirty or a fifty ton pillbox, and yeah. then that thing runs out of ammo. You've just got a fifty ton thing sitting on foreign soil, and so um, yeah, it, it takes a lot of considerations. And maybe the idea is is that as part of the joint force, if we can take all of those logistics considerations out. And we can sustain the force, then maybe that's the better way to go. Yeah. About yeah. Doing. So it is about being lighter and it is about being flexible, but it's also about how do we get it there and then how do we sustain that force once it's there. And I think that transitions into the second part of that clip we just listened to about how uh, any climate place just isn't enough anymore uh, because you got to be able to be, think beyond just physical location. Yeah, I think cyberspace, actual space, um, remote functioning, you know, all that stuff. So what do you think about that substitution of moving from heavy and loud to remote? I don't, I don't even know how to phrase that right now. No, really. I think so, I, I, they may, yeah. I, I don't know how – I think that's the problem. We don't know how to phrase it. Yeah. And then you, you take – you know, I was, we were just on a, a phone conversation with uh, a very uh, um, a deep thinker on these these issues, and and you have all of these capability, but at the end of the day, like generationally, the people at the top aren't used to this way of thinking. Like, it's really easy for us to say four dimensional warfare. We have to consider space, but like for dinosaurs like me, I'm like. I don't know what that looks like. And so if you give me an EW guy attached to my unit or you give me a cyberspace guy, I'm like, what is it that you actually do? Yeah. Like, And so I, I'm still using the radio to do the majority of my communication. And that's just it's, – it's an antiquated process. Um, and so – but I think circling back to our the thought of proxy wars too, and especially where China's making advances in cyberspace, is is that we we there is a there is a, a not it's not science fiction anymore to think about if we were to have a direct conflict with China that it wouldn't actually involve physical troops taking physical battle space. Yeah. Yeah. And so those could be the proxy wars that we fight in the future is in a place that we don't act, in a in a space that we don't actually physically occupy. And now that news from uh, this past week, where China passed the exaflop barrier with two computers, is a little scarier all of a sudden. Well, I mean, so, it wasn't that long ago that we were all <laughs> clamoring at gas stations because someone hacked the pipeline. Yeah, affected the entire East Coast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it took me days to get Amazon delivery. Oh man, it was excruciating. Makes you wonder how the Luddites did it. (laughs) (laughs) So, there was a time when the Pony Express got your mail across the country in a little over two weeks, man. What's mail? That was that was crazy technology. Yeah. Um, I don't know what what are your thoughts on uh, on the four dimensions. Well, it kind of goes into what I think. One, uh, I think it was the uh, commandant said later in his speech where we're going to need like diversity of thought. So the Marine Corps eventually is going to have to find a way to get like a lot of those techie guys in still have them obviously the marine corps like values ethos and, and physicality every marine rifleman still needs to persist but getting people in with the experience uh in that realm and have them c- contribute because 
I mean, uh, to be f- to, to to my knowledge, I feel like that's an underappreciated asset that For we sure. need to to utilize. Yeah, and not just have them present, but like actually part of the operational picture. Exactly, invested also. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and I guess our recent conversation with Tom Schumann kind of makes me think about this would be uh, when he was talking about the courageous restraint bit. Um, would that enter or exit the doctrine at all? Like, Dude, th- that's... <sighs> I think that's currently like an unanswered question. I think there's it a is, lot of because we don't have rules on we don't have a Geneva Convention for cyber. There's not well, rules of engagement. There's not the rules of war. Yeah, for fighting in a place that you're not actually. Yeah, just, so like who is a combatant? Who is it? Yeah, like, exactly. just cut them all down and just sort through the mess. Yeah, later. Was, yeah. so like when I was going through Seer, the big deal was is that. You know, if you escape, don't grab a weapon. Then you're not you're a non-combatant. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy. Um, what is a non-combatant in yeah. cyber? Who is wearing a uniform? Who is a who's uniformed personnel? Yeah, yeah. Uh, clearly, um, these are articles that people who have ideas on these can contribute <laughs> to the Gazette. <laughs> There's so much going on. All right. Uh, without further ado, we got another clip from the commandant here. I'm going to play that right now. I don't think successful companies prevent people from coming back to their companies if they want to come back in. But it ain't real easy to come back into the Marine Corps. This, like that door out there doesn't swing both ways. Why? Why is that? Why can't, if somebody leaves the Marine Corps for two, three, four years, wants to come back in, why is it so difficult? Why do we make it so hard? We have to change that. Companies don't do that. They don't say, well, you left us four years ago. We're not interviewing you. They're like, welcome back. But in the military, it's more like a one-way door. Why can't somebody take a one-year sabbatical? Just freeze their, freeze their promotion, freeze their time in service, freeze their time in grade, take a sabbatical. Why cannot we do that? Whether that's for education, start a family, Travel the world, I don't care. Why, do, why are we not willing to stop their clock and then let them come back in in a year later? Would we not get them for a longer period of time is my point. We probably would. Not easy to do. Career flexibility. All right, so uh, General Berger right now talking about being able to retain Marines by letting them take a break from the Marines. Um, that just feels weird to say out loud. It does, but at the same time, it is—it's so insightful. I have a number of friends, actually, a future guests of the show, um, who had they been afforded that opportunity, would probably still be in uniform. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the uh, the Roman myth of Cincinnatus. Like this guy's at the—he's retired. He's on his farm. You know, Roman's in trouble. They need him. He comes back. He he whoops some ass, and then he goes back to his farm. And it's it's this idea that. Um, you know, it, it, we need to figure out a process in order to figure out how to get guys who want to come back in before that decision is made for us in a situation where we have to get those people and get that thought and get the intelligence back in. Yeah. Um, so it was described to me by someone that I treat his word as Marine Gospel, uh, my old man, that, uh, <laughs> that uh, the Marine Corps has got a very wide... Uh, if you think of the entry-level uh, lieutenants and uh, corporals and things uh, as being uh, the bottom of the pyramid, uh, the Marine pyramid is very wide. There's a lot at the bottom and not a lot of leadership at the top. I'm trying to describe this because yeah, I'm so like, it's, it is yeah, a pyramid, yeah. but it, it's, it's a steep, yeah. steep. So it's a very – actually, it would be the opposite. It would be a very gentle slope down. You could you could go up there and just roll down on your bike, whereas, like, the Air Force would be the opposite. It would be very, very steep, very narrow base, and there are a lot. Yeah, I guess that's what it, it's <laughs> yeah. more like. Uh, it's a foundation with, like, this little hat on top yeah. of it in the yeah. recording. Yeah. <laughs> So this kind of sounds like this would shift that paradigm a little bit if this is uh, the direction. For sure. Yeah, I think the, the commandant has said on a number of occasions how he wants it to be a more mature force. Um, we don't have the clip for this, uh, but for anybody who's following it on uh, YouTube, it's about the 15-minute mark. 
he talks about uh, how our current manpower structure is not set up to support where we're going. Um, and he has a couple insights on sort of how the Marine Corps views manpower and uh, assignments. And he says, like, um, the Marine Corps currently views its personnel as interchangeable. To include the commandant himself, um, we're inventory. He even says, he says we are inventory, um, that it's about butts and chairs, um, and he wants to get into a place where we are looking at the right person for the right billet. Um, and then he mentions Sergeant Major, and he have had conversations, and Sergeant Major uh, phrases it that the current model is, is that we recruit and then replace. You get 35,000 Marines. You replace them once their tour is over with another fresh 35,000 Marines. And he wants to get into a place where we're cultivating the millions of dollars that are spent in training people to get them to a level. Why are we just so willing to just let them go? And you hear some of that in this clip where he starts to ask these questions about why, why, why. Why is industry looking a certain way and finding success? And we are so unwilling to even be intellectually curious about maybe adopting some of those those TTPs. Yeah, especially it seems like the uh, this sort of up and out model that it, it has right now is just like begging the Peter principle to show its face and just you know have someone who is really great in one position, but and it is 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 an expert in that one position. Where if you move him up a level, he could be absolute poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Well, if you look at also like the UK model um, of their how their forces comprised. I remember uh, working with the Brits and you would have like a really salty old like company commander <laughs> because he liked doing that. So, I mean, he's a captain. He's been in like 20 years and he's just been a company commander his entire time. Yeah. I know that the Marines had a very strong uh, about face. On, I guess you could call it the career Marine uh Several several decades ago, uh, to keep the uh, just to keep Marines from like sitting down like nope I'm I'm happy being a uh, a captain over here and I don't know where they would have been in the 60s or whatever time frame I can't remember the exact time frame uh, when it started but um like, I'm assuming that's pre draft yeah it, it feels it's... that way yeah so like pre I mean pre volunteer force yeah um, so. Yeah, like pre-Vietnam is where I was, yeah, I was yeah. thinking. Um, but uh, and I remember there – I think we actually have a uh, – I, I can't remember the exact content. We, we have Al Gray talking about it on, on tape somewhere. I can't remember if it's our Core Voices episode with Al Gray or not, where he kind of talks about the uh, the career Marine and how now it's more of a get promoted or get the hell out type yeah. of situation. So Yeah, you only get two Ps, man. Yeah. You get two looks. Yeah. So. And I think – uh, actually, the commandant, I think, talked about that a little bit, too. Is This is like, why does somebody, when they come off the clock, why does, or when they request to not be looked at, why does that count as a P? Yeah. Just don't mm-hmm. give me a look. I'm, I'm pretty happy here, and I've, you know, invested, especially when you look at, like, these very, like, niche things we're talking about, EW and cyber um, or people that go off to school, they got to do a payback tour. Um, so we've spent all this money getting them educated. They're now in the chair where they're using that education in a very practical, applicable manner. But then, oh, your three years are up. You got to go. Like, yeah. well, what did we waste all that money <laughs> for? Um, or not waste, but why do we invest in this Marine when he's only going to be sitting in that chair you know, I mean, yeah. it's, and you look at the maturation process of that. It's like it's going to take him six months to even figure out where the head is in the building. And then he's going to get about six months to start working on his PCS move and transition. So you get him for about two years in that chair and you just spent millions of dollars to train him for that role. Like if he's liking it and his family has now put down roots in that town, uh, why is he up and out? And if he says, no, I want to stay, well, you can, but that's a P. Yeah. Good luck on the next board. Yeah. Um, they're kind of, yeah, it's just the mobility of, you know, marine life seems to be a big part of it. Like, it'd be a whole culture shift. But also, uh, a lot of that stuff traditionally was the civilian marine type of a position. And that, I guess what we're 
saying now is more like activating some of those positions, I guess? I think what they're trying to do is to professionalize. And not to say that the reserve force isn't professional. They're highly professional. Um, but, yes, they, that's a good – it is an example is, is that you have these um, people that are able to transfer the things that they do in civilian life into their soldierly life. Um, and there's a direct correlation, and they feed off of one another. Um, so what if we just professionalize the active force that way? Yeah, just kind of reimagine the structure, I guess. And, or just stop looking yeah. at Marines as inventory. Mm. Like, I just need – so whereas uh, one of our strengths is that every Marine's a rifleman, it's also our weakness because that's just a, he's just a rifleman or she's just a rifleman. Just yeah. move them in, move them out. Oh, we, Hi-ya. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching that one. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's uh, transition now into, okay, so we, we have one more clip from the commandant. We're going to save that for later because it matches up with the ACMAC. Uh, so let's transition into the ACMAC. And I need to apologize in advance. The audio quality from this dinner was not the best, so... Um, I apologize for the fish tank in yeah. advance. Turn turn that volume up for a bit. Yeah, I, yeah. I cranked it up a little bit already for you. Um, and, and, and just, I guess, of note, both of these are on YouTube. We'll post the links to those mm-hmm. things if you guys want to listen to the two of them in their entirety. So if you miss a clip or something's not clear and uh, our discussion of it, you want to sort of get to what the actual leader said – uh, just go to the YouTube link. But yeah, the the sound quality, it's good. It's decent enough, I guess. Or we'll find out here shortly. I just want. I just. I'm not taking ownership of the audio quality. Is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm divesting myself of it. <laughs> You're t- I'm not like throwing a, anyone like under the tank? bus. But yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm divesting <laughs> yeah. this thing. It's. Uh, let's just say I'm glad it's not my job. All right. We're talking about is training, and education, and personnel. Those are now the commandant's two pieces of force design. I trust all the good to see you too, sir. Um, I, I saw the invitation list, but if I'm making eye contact and forcing, I can still see that far. Um, I, I get to I finally figure out who, who's sitting where, sir, it's always good to see you. Joe uh, Stalker's daughter, by the way, was a real drum my last house, so Bethany uh, is terrific. So, um, the best builder I've ever had. I mean, and, um, so, it is a small world. Uh, training education, intentional lives. And then manpower and reserve affairs, manpower. Okay. Uh, Lieutenant General Dave Iberman. Those are his focus areas. And he's rolled this out. Uh, he's already talked about the, the future of how he sees manpower. We have to be more flexible. And let me be really clear. I'm pretty candid. Those of you that know me know I tend to just say what I'm going to say. And if I get trouble saying it, then I go to Florida Center, which is fine. Right? Because book prices are doing nothing going up. And housing prices are going up, so maybe the sooner I get fired and go to Florida, the better. I can afford you know, an 1,100 square foot house instead of a 1,200. This is not about being woke. It's not about being you know, politically correct and all that other stuff. And I'm using my proper language. It's about having access to the totality of American talent. You've got a country of 330 million people. Right? And this is on what people call diversity, equity, inclusion. What we're saying is I need access to everybody. Right? I don't care if you're black or white. I don't care. You know, I used to say, I don't care if you sleep with, I don't care who you love, is a better way to say it. If you're sleeping with somebody who is a subordinate, then yeah, I care. I don't care who you love. Training 30 million people, once you whittle out those who are too young or too old to enlist, you're down very, very much below 330. If you exclude 50% of the population, or you exclude, say, 14% who are African American, or you exclude X percent who are Hispanic. So the totality of American talent, guys. Profound, deep, what are we thinking? I I, I think it's obvious. Um, he talks about a lot in this in his speech about um, the uh, business model that's in its sort of death spiral. Um, and it, yeah, it, it totally dovetails off of what the commandant's talking about, and that is if you know you take out the old and the the too old and the too young to serve you're left with a finite number and then you start to chip away at the at those pieces of the pie you're left with 
um, a force that is just not sustainable to continue to a recruiting term uh, as QMA. Um, you know, your sort of qualified applicants uh, is sort of one of the, and it's, it's probably an old term. I was recruiting duty back in right after uh, Iraq. So it was like 03 to 05. So it probably isn't even a term used anymore. But the idea is, is that you have a, uh, a, a sampling of how many qualified applicants you have in an area. And that gives you sort of your population that, and so you, you start to pick numbers out of that pool on how many you should be recruiting and how many should be, you know, how many feet you get on footprints based off of that quality spread. And so, yeah, if you start to diminish the things you're actively pursuing, then it, you're not going to get, even if you stuck with the recruit and replace model, you're not going to be able to replace those that you were recruiting if your population that you're recruiting from continues to diminish and diminish. So if we're going to update this uh, from seniors in high school, uh, strip mall offices, and college campuses, is this looking then, going back to what uh, General Berger was also saying, uh, are we starting to look in like corporate offices? Like where are we looking for Marines now? I think industry. Yeah. I think they talked about that. Like if you have someone – and again, going back to the EW thing, um, if you've got a cyber specialist who has just spent five years working for some tech startup and either the startup didn't work or they were looking for something else, um, why would you have them enter the Marine Corps as a private to maybe, you know, through their education and, you know, may, maybe they get a pool, you know, referral. And so they hit, make it, you know, the Lance mm -hmm. Corporals by the time they hit their fleet, but yet they've got five to seven years of real life tech experience. And now you're going to ha have them go through entry level school where they would probably be teaching yeah. at that school had they not entered into our sort of, our, you know, arcane model of, of, talent management. So I think what they're getting at is, yeah, absolutely. Let's get out of cold calling. Let's get out of pulley referrals. Let's get out of that business and let's start looking at where people, where people are yeah. and, 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 and get out of this idea that we can only hit, you can only have 18 year olds for enlisted and you only have 21 year olds for officers. And that's where we're going to start everybody at. Yeah. William? I definitely thought it was – I think it was my favorite part of the uh, ACMAC speech just because, I mean, he's really tapping into, like, the uh, the issue of diversity that America's facing. And what he does is – I mean, we were all there. Like, you know, half the people there are, like, older white dudes. So what he does is he, like, <laughs> he, he approaches the subject with a sense of humor, but then he, he goes in, like, the cold, hard practicality of it where, like, hard-earned lessons of history have demonstrated that if you don't leverage diversity to your advantage, diversity will be leveraged against you. And especially looking at social media and, and such the past – like two, three years, I, 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 we all know for a fact China knows the rifts and, and the, the, um, the, the divides in our nation, and they will use, leverage that 100% to their advantage. So unless we capitalize on the strength of our diversity, it will 100% be used against us. Yeah, and, and, and if you also, again, like looking at the cold hard facts, like whether you consider uh, China uh, uh, imminent, like conflict with China to be imminent or you're viewing them as a pacing threat – the fact of the matter is, is that most autocratic and authoritarian regimes have a very, especially within the military, because that's the thing they're most scared of, is a very homogenous composition. They're composed with people that they know, people they can trust, and people who think like them, so that there's never a point of dissent and discontent. And like the comment was saying, we need to exploit that weakness through our own intellectual diversity. And the only way you get an intellectual diversity is you have people from intellectual backgrounds All or right. diverse backgrounds and cultures. That so, actually yeah. segues into another clip we've got. So let's play that and then we'll keep continue on the other side it. of it. Yeah. Hey, I'm looking for diversity of thought. I'm sure I echo the commandant's uh, comments. When I was a, a division, a regimental, and a battalion commander, my air officers, I didn't let them wear candies. They had to wear their flight suits, they had to wear their bags. I don't want you becoming a grunt because you think differently about problems as a pilot. So wear your flight suit. 
because you think differently. I want, I want somebody who thinks differently, throws weird ideas at me. If, if we don't have the cookie cutter solution, that is really easy for an adversary to figure out what I'm going to do. Because, you know, they all do the same. Like Russian doctrine, one of the, way, one of the ways you can actually deal with it, they actually follow it, right? Us, we have doctrine all through the age, and, you know, General Gregson knows, we didn't follow our own doctrine. I mean, it's kind of hard to figure out. Yeah, so our own doctrine, hard to figure out because diversity of thought uh, is what I gleaned out of that. Uh, but the homogeny of China, the homogeny of Russian doctrine, that's kind of what led into that clip. Um, Vic? Yeah, um, and I think this is one of those things where there's going to be some growing pains with this because they're great bumper stickers. Um, we love to talk about thinking outside the box and how we want, you know, people that are going to challenge the status quo but then we reinforce the <laughs> status quo and stifle anybody who has any like who has any why questions uh, which again going back I guess to the CMC speech I really enjoyed that uh, to hear you know our uh, our commandant asking questions of why because that seems to be especially at the at the tactical level uh, uh, you know, that is something that's not as readily encouraged. So I guess that would keep in line then trying to diversify thought with some of our other thoughts earlier about not treating the Marines as interchangeable parts. Yeah. Because you want an interchangeable, you want that gear to do exactly what that gear is supposed to do, which is turn another gear at a very specific ratio. And if you're kind of moving beyond that and trying to, uh, get beyond that interchangeable thought thought um interchangeable part thought <laughs> forgive me um then you kind of you need that diversity of thought to yeah it's, uh, carry it's us see, through. Uh, the acmac mentions it like the the i mean history has shown that organizations that th have diversity of thought are successful those that think um, and only a, a single track are not. It's a it's a it's a it's a failed business model to not explore all of the ranges of which we think about things and the way we uh, approach problem solving. And we happen to have a historian in the room. Well, what do you think? I mean, it's it, there's uh, there's nothing really I can say to, to add to that. I mean, if if you look at like uh, for example, you know, like which um, which military organizations were were were, more, were were flexible, which one thought, which ones innovated, and then which ones remained the same or or, or stifled innovation. I mean, you can look at like, for example, you know, uh, pre World War II, the Soviet Union, you know, slaughter their internet, <laughs> like literally slaughter their intellectual strengths. Uh, prepared for a war that what they thought it was going to be versus what it would be in reality and then got absolutely you know slaughtered by the germans and, and barbarossa and then but then i sort of switched you know germany tried to uh, uh try to keep the same and then russia eventually you know evolved to their tactics and then reversed it upon them so you sort of see what happens when you, you make an evolution then fail to expand upon it versus versus re realizing your mistake and then changing your ways yeah absolutely i think too like uh i mean we, you mentioned rome before i mean as rome expanded post uh the carthaginian campaigns they were welcoming all comers um you know spaniards north africans greeks um and then as the emperor sought to consolidate power they then opened themselves up to all kinds of invasions and stuff because they were all just thinking about – they were looking at the world now through the emperor's lens by something that was more um, – I mean, am I, am I capturing that correctly? I'm not an ancient historian, okay. so to speak. I mean, there's there's lots of like explanations for the fall, of, fall and expanse of Rome, but I think – I mean, that makes – it's a pretty poignant point. I mean, something I've heard like a phrase repeatedly spoken is, you know, Rome thrived as a republic and fell as an empire – but I, don't uh, don't quote me on that. Greater population, do your own research, well, <laughs> and then the, contribute they, to the Gazette. Exactly, <laughs> they had a lot of thriving as an empire. That's when they got to their biggest extent, richest. Well, I mean, even as they shifted, opulent. I mean, again, like we talk about, like yeah. innovation, like what happened after Rome fell is they became the Byzantines, mm -hmm. 
who then became the Ottomans. Uh, the Byzantines were just Greek Romans, so like it became, you know, Italy became just a fracturing of sta- oh, we're we're, diver- we're diverging. Right I now. think, but, it, but yeah. it, it, although we're, all, although we are, yeah. uh, this is a very diverse train of thought here. Yeah. I think it all does center around that. In order to exist, you have to be diverse, mm-hmm. and you have to be flexible, and you can't adapt if you're just running on a single track. Yeah, and the flexibility is important because we can't even pull Rome back into that because part of what happened to Rome was they had different ideas, but they were forcefully inside of Rome imposing their ideas on the other Romans. And that is part of what led to a couple civil wars, a couple years of multiple emperors, a whole bunch of stuff going on because people look back at the past as the old way being, you know, like, oh, we did it because of this. This is what is happening. Religion played a part. You know, there's a whole lot going on in there, but... Um, Which is a way of thinking. It's culture. It's diversity of culture. Yeah, uh, that was them basically fracturing by solidifying their ideas. Mm -hmm. Being able to be flexible with your ideas is pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. All right, and that will lead us into our last uh, clip from Commandant Berger. Here it goes. Better crack that open a bit. I think diversity, there's a lot of discussion in diversity in the last 12 months some of it all over the map and some of it actually pretty helpful. When Sergeant Major and I and the senior leaders, when we talk about diversity, we're not talking about demographics. We're talking about diversity up here, diversity of thought. And our premise, our assumption is more diverse organizations make better decisions. Translated into tactics, me equals more diverse companies, squadrons are gonna fight better. That's our assumption has nothing to do with demographics or skin color. Thought, experience, more diverse organizations do better. That's important. Because again, I think our adversaries have certain advantages over us. We're gonna circle back again, I think, to the individual. That's where we're gonna, that's where we're gonna keep our margin of advantage. We have to be able to outperform them. We gotta be able to operate differently. We got to find their weaknesses and exploit them. And if they're all kind of homogeneous organization, our adversaries, we can exploit that because we have a competitive warfighting advantage. Well, it's like everything we just said. We already knew about. It's like we were there <laughs> yeah. and listened. Um, yeah. So we were clearly echoing a lot of what the commandant's already been bringing up. So, um, yeah, homogeneity bad. <laughs> Diversity good. Diversity good. Uh, what do you think, Will? Another shameless plug for you is that if any of you are heavily interested, knowledgeable, expert in uh, Chinese history and culture, take a time, you know, break apart Chinese society, figure out, you know, what's holding them together, what demographics are being suppressed, what's being put forth, and so that you know that the average, cause I feel like especially the average American very knows very little about. Chinese history and culture. So if you can like dissect them, as I know for a fact they're dissecting us, figure out where what are the seams and gaps um, within their society, and then find out ways that we can exploit it and 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 get that out there, so that becomes more common knowledge to us. No, that's really good advice, and you don't have to like, or you should go web go back. Um, you know, I mean, Chinese history is is vast. So yeah, you pour a cup of coffee, go for a walk. Um, because you're going to be there for a while. But I think if we start just look a little bit at recent history, I mean, those protests in Hong Kong, that didn't just happen because someone just had a bad day. There's a lot going on with suppression of, of uh, human rights, of demographic oppression, of them trying to maintain um, power within uh, a group. Um, I mean, it boils all the way down to language. Yeah, especially I mean, they, they, it's like we talk about authoritarian regimes are highly repressive, and they and they they put a lot of force on their citizens. But like, there's that force is holding in a lot of pressure, and that pressure has to pop somewhere. And it's just a matter of finding out how and where it will pop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, Manchurian is the is the language that's taken over China, the version, I guess, I think, right? Cantonese, yeah, Cantonese is the Hong is, Kong one, and that's right. not, yeah. And, uh, and, and Taiwan, I believe. In Taiwan, they speak Cantonese. Do they speak well. Cantonese? I, I thought they had their so. own. Um, we can ask uh, Dr. Hunziker when he comes back on. All right. <laughs> uh, and you guys haven't heard Dr. Hunziker yet, but we did have, uh, Vic sat down with him, had a very uh, enlightening conversation not too long ago. Uh, we're bringing that to you shortly. Um, so... That is well. I, I do want to just, I guess, to in sum, if I can. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, we talked about you know demographics, diversity, talent management. Um, we the comment uh, when you listen to the C, uh, ACMAC speech, you'll hear him speak a little bit more about equipping the force because he taught he does um, delve into survivability and what that means to the joint force. Um, but I guess sort of in some... Oh, Vic, nope, I got a clip. Oh, okay. The, the power projection piece, to be able to get those forces in, there's this argument that I could also use this particular body's help in. There's an argument that's brewing about survivability, as if it's a binary thing. These things are survivable, these things are not. Well, look, if, if, it's like a piece of glass, right? Oh, this thing is hurricane resistant. Well, if I drop, drop a two-ton boulder on it, it's going to break. So at some point, you know, you, I can make anything breakable. I mean, you know, give me a lance corporal and I'll, you'll break anything. <laughs> so. Sorry to cut you off there, Vic. We had that nope. one just kind of sitting around waiting to go, and you brought up survivability. Yeah, so yeah. we dropped uh, Lieutenant General Eric Smith. Uh, a two-ton boulder on his clip. Talking <laughs> about dropping two-ton boulders and uh, using the power of the lance corporal for destruction yeah. so I, I think it's it's not a it's not a matter that senior leadership is not trying to address the equipment issue um you know obviously it is a shortfall um and it is a it is part of that pacing and overmatch that we're trying to achieve but i think where senior leadership has seen a gap in uh our uh, pacing threat is in intellect and in diversity. And so, and also too, I think that, and I don't want to obviously speak for these gentlemen, um, but my thought is, rolled according to Vic, is, is that the impetus behind a lot of this isn't just in the numbers. I think there is, to speak of a pacing threat, a pacing threat to um, maintaining the force is not what it used to be. And, and so back in my day, um, you know, 90s, the early aughts, the thing that we were competing against as far as uh, manpower management, talent management, was this sort of monolithic entity um, that was depicted in the movie Office Space. And that is cubicle life. The Marine Corps, there's all of the services, but the Marine Corps in particular was in direct competition with cubicle life that paid well. And so you could rot... With TPS reports, you could report to four bosses who are going to ask you the same questions because they don't talk either. You can make a good living doing that, but you could die a little bit every day doing it. Or come be a Marine, get outside, see the world, save some lives, look at yourself in the mirror and go, I did something worthwhile today. Like I never have to question my worth wearing the Eagle Globe and Anchor. And so it was an easy win. We had our ad campaigns that showed people doing great things and being out in the world, seeing the world, and making it a better place. So that was, that was un- unquestionable. It's not to say that the current generation, that doesn't resonate with them, but I think the current generation has a institutional or has a fundamental apprehension about institutions. And so we're not – we don't offer a life that – they can't go out and seize and grab. I mean, COVID has showed us that you can travel the world and still work remotely and still have a very successful, fulfilling life. So what is the Marine Corps doing now? Um, what is the context by which we need to manage our personnel better, um, You know, especially when you're up against tech giants, for example? You know, we want to get into that fourth dimension we want to have overmatch with our peers, um, but we're also competing against these tech giants where a cereal bar is a real thing. Nap time is a real thing. Playing video games is considered like 
you know, job fulfillment or, or you know, a prerequisite to, um, you know, having maintaining yeah. that intellectual advantage. And so, what is the Marine Corps doing? And I think what the ACMAC, the Commandant and the ACMAC are trying to do is to shift that paradigm so that we are no longer the antithesis of that life, but that we are a facilitation of it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, getting away from even, yeah, there's probably more cubicles now in the Marine Corps than there is in. Right. Yeah, so probably a good idea to uh i don't know i as the oldest guy in the room i feel like maybe i'm speaking out of turn i mean what do you guys think is that no definitely especially like you know my generation and younger i mean we're the the marine corps not saying like politically conservative but is a very socially conservative organization as 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 if almost any sorry not almost every military organization is is by nature uh more socially conservative and that's like like the hardships endured the the easier quote-unquote easier and more technolo- technologically able society gets the less they want, they view that as like a more reasonable option. And then especially with like how a lot of them perceive the military as an institution and sort of having that disconnect between viewing uh, service members and service versus um, how, how the government uses them. So I, 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 so we've seen especially like a lot in the uh, Marine Corps Gazette again, shameless plug, like December edition (laughs) talking about ways to combat that, you know, with more like flexible hours, um, and 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 and, thing, and things such as that. So obviously, very definitely, it needs to change. Yeah, I think one of the things too that we're getting towards, we need to lean into, is this idea that uniformity isn't conformity, and that those are two distinct things. Uniformity is absolutely essential for the military. Conformity is that death spiral that the ACMAC kept talking about. Didn't the Marine Corps just change like their tattoo policy recently? Where uh, this is semi relevant, but like it's, I think they made it so it's like it's there's like a picture where um, I think it has to. Oh, yeah, they it can't get up to the knuckles, anyway, yeah, it can't right? get you can't get like past the hands yeah. and like just below the neck, but it's yeah. pretty, it's a pretty flexible. It used policy. to be that if you were if you were in sleeves down, then you were good to go, and then they changed it if you were in chucks and I could see your tattoo, that was no go. Um, but I will tell you again, recruiting duty, you know, a lifetime ago, but the recruiters who found the easiest access to their, their, um, applicants or the, the, the population were the guys with the cool tattoos that the kids could see. Cause the first thing the kids walk up to them and go, Hey, that's an awesome tattoo. And then they go, you like it? I got it while I was on Westpac in Thailand. And they're like, wow, amazing. You know, and so that's, you're already, but that's a total rabbit hole that we don't necessarily need to go down. But I think you're absolutely right that we need to just, we need to embrace diversity of thought in that sometimes that's on the exterior. A lot of times that's on the interior and it has to just do with upbringing and, and just finding ways to hold on to talented people. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's put a bow on this one. Uh, this was very enlightening. If you enjoyed our conversation today, let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, just hit the Marine Corps Association up, uh, Instagram, you know. Or LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. Uh, we like LinkedIn. We Our LinkedIn followers are all nice. Uh, they say nice things. So, uh, <laughs> or they I, say mean things in nice ways. They say mean things yeah. in nice ways. There's something about LinkedIn. Like it's not as angry as Twitter or Facebook. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, we have a very friendly, uh, good group of people on Facebook. So I'm not like talking down, but like LinkedIn is just they're nice. Like it's it's weird. It's like talking to a bunch of folks from Minnesota or something. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I, I did the social media in a, in a prior life, so I kind of tuned in on that. But, uh, yeah, reach out. If you uh, have anything you'd like us to talk about, just comment on the uh, post for this episode, and uh, we'll get to it, and we'll call you out by name. Uh, we're working on some new ways of communicating with us, maybe a new email address, maybe a Reddit thread. I don't know. We're uh, throwing around some ideas. If you think any of those ideas are good ideas, please let us know. 
Also, we are going to be talking about the concept of amphibiosity in the near future. Yeah, a cool word, a made-up word that is going to pick, just going to pick up steam, man. I'm, I'm liking amphibiosity. And the first thing we're going to do is figure out how to spell it because I've tried three different ways and they all look wrong. Well, you're <laughs> always going to get the red squiggly underneath yeah. whenever you type it out. So just, I think we just go with it. Yeah. Um, are you in the U? Do you use a U in amphibiosity? No. No. Okay. I just go I O S I T Y. Amphibious. Amphibious Because uh, um, it's yeah. amphibia. Yeah, yeah. So it takes the U it, it really yeah. just makes it look weird. Yeah, and yeah. then it's an S instead of the C. Anyway, so that was our final tangent of the day. Um, yeah, so wait, but do tune in. Amphibiosity is going to be awesome where we will take this for some of the uh, – we're going to really – deep dive into some of these um, concepts that have to deal with forest design in 2030. So it's not completely out of left field. It does have a lot to do with forest design in 2030. But because this is scuttlebutt, we're trying to stay ahead of the scuttlebutt, and we're going to try to give you guys the ground truth on what it is that uh, we are talking about. And who better to get that started than almost the entire staff of Gazette Magazine? <laughs> we got Vic, we got William, and we got... Colonel Woody Woodbridge joining us. Um, don't say that. He won't come on. Uh, <laughs> well, we know where he works. So, <laughs> so uh, that will be – I'm just going to be a fly on the wall. It's going to be awesome. Be yeah, I'm really time. looking forward to it. Yeah, so yeah, stay tuned, guys. Reach out. We want to we wanna interact with you guys. Um, but we all have our main jobs too, so uh, – Give us a reason to not do what we do for. for, for. <laughs> Be a distraction, yeah. please. <laughs> so, all right. So, I am Nick. This is Vic. That is, that is William. See ya. Um, our opinions are just our opinions and uh, do not reflect the Marine Corps Association. And we also got contributions from Nancy Lichman, who did not hear her voice today. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Bye.